Okay, Andrea, so in the 90s, we loved to love things. And so my question for you this week is, what is something from the 90s that you love so much you played it out? Like you really kind of loved it to death. Two words, the and Rachel. So here's the thing. The Rachel was the only hairstyle worth having in the 90s. So it was inescapable. You couldn't get away from it. He said Rachel, right? Do you think I should go up there? So here's the thing. One song that comes to mind when I think about the 90s that I just can't possibly ever hear again because it was so overplayed was that Rob Thomas song, Smooth, with like Santana. That song was everywhere. When the spirit of things that both defined and were inescapable Today on People in the 90s, we're talking about our issue from December 25th, Merry Christmas, 1995, a special end-of-the-year double issue. It featured our list of the 25 most intriguing people of the year. And on that list was a singer named Darius Rucker, who happens to be our guest today. Andrew, everyone thought his name was Hootie, of course, because his band was named Hootie and the Blowfish. And they released Cracked Rear View in 1994, and it became the biggest-selling album of 1995. And of course, their songs, including Hold My Hand, were absolutely inescapable in the 90s. You know, grunge was so cool and anything that wasn't as heavy as that just wasn't cool. And so we were always underestimated, but that's okay, we just gotta play it. Also that week of December 25th, 1995, Toy Story, the original, was number one at the box office. And One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey featuring Boys to Men was number one on the Billboard charts. Can we just pause for a second and say that we have asked Boys to Men to be on the show almost as much as we've asked Fabio to be on the show. Do you think we're getting a reputation for being a little desperate, Jason? I hope not. <gasps> like Boys to Men think we're needy? <laughs> not us. <laughs> Anyway, I'm Jason Sheeler, Deputy West Coast Editor at People Magazine. And I'm Andrea Laventhal, Style and Beauty Director at People Magazine. And this is People in the 90s, where each week we dive deep into an issue of People Magazine from the best era ever. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Jason. I have to say that, like, let's just be candid here. I'm kind of unprepared for this episode because we haven't done this kind of episode yet in the season where we're we do one of what we call um at people magazine one of our specials right, right. This, this is what we call a special right this is one of our specials like sexiest man alive the beautiful issue and it was our 25 most intriguing people of the year so we're in uncharted territory here because we used to find people intriguing because people used to be a little bit more mysterious because there was no social media and we kind of waited around to find out who we decided were intriguing, right? Yeah, and to further your point, I don't know if you noticed that one of the, can we call them intriguers on the list, (laughs) is the Unabomber. Stop it. And we have, you know, just the drawing of the hooded man with the big aviators. And are you ready for the lead? Because it's truly remarkable. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm scared. Have you seen this man? He may have a package for you. (laughs) (laughs) We chose the Unabomber. I mean, I just love this list. I love how 1995 spans Jennifer Aniston, the Unabomber, Babe the Pig. Okay, shut up. Babe the Pig was not one of our 25 most intriguing people. How plump, how pink, how pleasing. Babe the Pig, star of Babe the Movie, trotted onto screen this year. The unlikeliest star since Miss Piggy. Our mom called us all the same. And what was that, dear? She called us all Babe. La la la. I didn't just make that up, Jason. That is... I, I can't get over Babe the Pig. Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. Because of Gwyneth Paltrow and Emma? We got all excited because Clueless was obviously based on Emma. And then there was Persuasion, which was a UK film. And then Emma Thompson, Sense and Sensibility. Oh, it was Sense and Sensibility, not Emma. No, then they had Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. So it was like Jane Austen had never been hotter. She was an an it girl. An it girl, uh, 200 (laughs) years in the making. So we had quite the list, quite the time there of people we found intriguing. Okay, so here's the deal. So so there are 25 of them. Can you just go down the full list? Princess Diana, Christopher Reeve, Elizabeth Hurley. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. Colin Powell, Nicole Kidman, OJ Simpson, Marsha Clark. I mean, still love her. She was 
was on our best dress list too. Ooh, Susan Smith moving right along. Jay Leno, C. Dolores Tucker. I, I, do, I don't know who that is. It says crusades against gangsta lyrics, giving record companies a bad rap. Okay, that's uncomfortable. Shania Twain, Brad Pitt. Wait, Shania Twain and Brad Pitt? Mm-hmm. Because even Shania Twain gave Brad Pitt a shout out. Mm-hmm. Just pointing that out. And, and Chris, we're going to need to hear that. Okay, so you're Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. Louis Farrakhan, Ted Turner, Hootie and the Blowfish. <gasps> JFK Jr., Monica Sellis, R.L. Stein, Selena, Cal Ripken Jr., and Bill Clinton. Woo! What a ride. I mean, JFK Jr. in 1995, there probably was no one hotter, maybe even ever. But I just want to just point that out for a second. No, I appreciate that. It deserves a moment. So... Yes, the list was expansive. It was controversial, I'd say. And to be and to be fair, in, in the spirit of People magazine, also just to some of its wonderful frivolity, right? I and I remember looking at these issues where really like your home, it was like, you know, the week between, you know, Christmas and New Year's. And you would like kind of really talk about, you know, like who had defined the year. And today we have people of the year, right? We generally have like what, four people for people of the year. That what I liked about the 25 most intriguing people of the year is it was like far more expansive and and there were like, you know, highs and lows and and light and dark. And you could really talk about the people who made the stories, people behind the most talked about stories of the year. Yeah, we had like a two page introduction to the section and whoever the writer who had to string all these people together into like a cohesive opener did a beautiful and tortured job because I, I wouldn't know how to put them all in one place. So Jason, as you mentioned at the top of the show, our guest today, Darius, not Hootie, Rucker, had a band in the 90s that was pretty much everywhere. Hootie and the Blowfish, you know, like really there wasn't a bar that wasn't playing it, a car radio that wasn't playing it. Like an episode of Dawson's Creek. An episode of Dawson's Creek. But they were really just one of like many bands in the mid nineties that were on my personal mixtape, right? It was like that college rock, a little indie, a little alternative. And they played such feel good, sing along Party, drink your Zima, drink your Amstel Light, drink your Snapple. People listening to Blues Traveler were not drinking Zimas, um, but I appreciate you kind of glamming it up a little bit. <laughs> um, they were drinking PBRs and hitting the bong. I'm, I'm just, I'm assuming, my, my friends tell me. But it is, that is a genre of music that we've not previously discussed on this podcast. And it is a significant portion of the nineties, you know, zeitgeist, if you will. Right. Like there were these, and what do we call them, Andrew? I I, I don't know. Cause I, I would pretend to enjoy the music when I went to visit my friends that went to normal colleges, you know, Parsons didn't really have a student union or dances, right. Those were held at gay bars. But when I would go to my friends that, you know, went to college in Kansas mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. right. And go to like, you know, frat parties. They were listening to these songs, right. They were listening to, and do we call it frat rock? Do we call it, what do we call People it? People called it frat rock for sure. The more like Dave Matthews blues traveler were called jam bands and they kind of veered more into like a little bit of modern hippiedom, which I actually mm. specialized in in high school. So yeah, you would always hear those songs playing really like at any college campus because everybody could find a song they loved, their jam on Hmm. one of these bands' albums. It was impossible not to just sing along and enjoy it. But to be sure, I mean, like Hootie and the Bluefish had one of the biggest selling albums of the entire decade. It really happens for them. It really, really happened. And they really not only, you know, helped define the genre of music, but they sold well. They toured endlessly. Their songs were played not only on the radio, but on MTV constantly. But kind of unlike Dave Matthews, who today still commands a little bit of respect, right? Hootie um, and the Blowfish and Darius has talked about this before. Like they kind of struggled for respect yeah. As they were creating a best-selling album and were played endlessly on the radio, they still struggled with respect while experiencing commercial success. Well, it was because really at the time, grunge was still a huge, huge thing. I mean, you had bands like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. They were cool. It wasn't so cool to be a Hootie and the Blowfish fan, yet they had 
11 million copies sold of their debut album back in 1995. So someone somewhere wasn't just listening, but buying those albums. Kind of like they're, they're like a little earnest. There's like there's an yeah, an earnest. It was kind of refreshing, but like all things nice and happy and positive, people want to take it down, Jason. I do remember being at a frat party in Lawrence, Kansas at KU in probably like 1996 visiting my best friend Clark. And we were like all jumping around singing to Hootie and the Blowfish. It was probably like one of the most thoroughly American experiences of my life. And we were all wearing Gap khakis. Nothing could be more 90s than that. Every episode, I think this is it. He's not going to be able to top himself. And there you go. Nicely done. Do you think I can tell Darius Rucker that memory or that be uncomfortable? I don't think he'd be uncomfortable. He's going to be happy. The only thing I want to ask him is about where he said, fuck Tom Hanks. Wait, what do you mean? Darius Rucker said, like, fuck Tom Hanks. And you're like, excuse me, Mr. Rucker, why did you say that? Uh, Well, as it turns out, so CNN had this series about decades in the 90s was the one they did in 2017. And Tom Hanks produced it and didn't even mention Hootie and the Blowfish. And so that did not sit well with one Darius Rucker, and he he let it be known. And on a more serious note, we're going to talk about how he broke into country music, and not since Charlie Pride has there been a more successful and prominent black man performing in country music. I mean, he's had four number one hits on the country charts. We've got a lot to talk about with Darius Rucker, but um, we will be asking him about Tom Hanks. Hi, Darius. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me. We know you, obviously, from the Grammy-winning Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, y'all sold more than 25 million records so far, which is incredible. And Cracked Review remains in the top 10 best-selling studio albums of all time. And then, of course, you went country, four more number one albums there. We're going to talk to you about all that and Hootie Fest, which I'm obsessed with. I'm so excited (laughs) to talk about that. We're coming. And then your new song, My Masterpiece. We're going to get into all that. But before we do all that, Andrea has a vital first question. Okay. Vital, late breaking. So I like to brag to friends and family about who I interview for work, you know, just to remind them who I am. And (laughs) I said, oh, I'm I'm interviewing Darius Rucker. And my brother-in-law, who is unbothered by everything I say, looks at me and goes, he's a really wonderful golfer. And I, (laughs) so... I just want to start off by asking you, how long have you been playing and how did you get so into golf? Oh, I've been playing since I was a kid, uh, 14 or so. Uh, I got serious about it, I guess, in my 20s. But yeah, golf's my thing. It's my only hobby I have. You were a PGA ambassador, right? I sure was an ambassador for the PGA Tour. Yes, I was. That's very cool. Anyway. Do you have any, like, who do you play golf with? Are there any other, like, music people you're, you're buddies with? Oh, yeah. You know, tons of folks, you know, I play with Tiger, I play, uh, play with Justin, Justin Thomas lives in my neighborhood here in Nashville. Uh, uh, you know, I play with a bunch of country artists, Charles Kelly, Brett Young, Jake Owen. That's so cool. Yeah, Hardy. I play with all those guys. Yeah. Oh my God, that's that's a good golf group. Okay, I know. We'll, we'll get back on topic. <laughs> we just turned into like Golf Inc. magazine. Welcome. <laughs> Meanwhile, neither Andrew nor I know anything, anything. about golf. <laughs> Not whatsoever. even this much. So, that's all right. Okay, so you were featured in People Magazine in 1995 as one of the 25 most intriguing people of the year. Other people on the list that year included Shania Twain, Brad Pitt. Oddly enough, the Unabomber, but we're not going to get into that. So we have to first ask, what was your life like? Where were you Christmas of 1995? What was going on with Darius? Oh, Christmas of 95. I was, I think I had just moved back to Charleston from Columbia. Uh, you know, the record was taken off. I think in the, Christmas of 95, we were probably on tour and got mm-hmm. home. I think we got home like the, a week or so before Christmas. We got off tour and, you know, took some time off, but I was on the road a lot back then. So, uh, but I was in Charleston for Christmas. Did you love being on the road? What was it like in the nineties? It was a party. It was, it was, it was, you know, nowadays I tour on the weekends, you know, you go out Thursday, Friday, you come back Sunday, you know, back then we'd go off for three months at a time wow. and just be out. You play on Monday, you play on Tuesday, you play any day. And we loved each other. We loved being together. So it was a party and we were having a good time and we were amazed at how, at how big the shows were getting. It was just amazing. When you were out on the road, you'd also run into other acts who were also out on the road, right? What, sure. What were some of those nights out like? You because sometimes there'd be other acts in town at the same time. Yeah, 
You know, I had I, I can think of some great nights with like Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots. Oh wow! You know, great nights with the Toad the Wet Sprocket guys. It was a party, man. I mean, the '90s were you know we were still these young kids who had just gotten really lucky and we'd riding this wave and trying to have a good time with it. And we were in the middle of a party, and all that all that really mattered back then was playing music and having a good time. So going back to growing up, who were your music idols back then? Well, back when I was a kid, Al Green was the first guy who, for me, he really made me want to sing. And, you know, later on in life, uh, R.E.M. was really big for me, really big for, I don't think Hootie would have been what we were if it wasn't for R.E.M. Oh, that's interesting. Do you remember the first time you heard R.E.M.? Like, was that a complete, like, paradigm shift for you? What was that like hearing R.E.M. for the first time? What was the song? The first time I heard him, I I heard music different. It was that big for me. I was watching... MTV and South Central Rain, I'm sorry, came on. And it was mind, It was truly mind-blowing to me as, as a guy who knew I wanted to play music and that was my dream. And I hear this band I'd never heard of before. And I remember, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And I remember going to every family member I could and asking for 50 cents or a quarter or a dollar so I could get up enough money to go out and buy this record. You know, so and, awesome. and, Gosh. Yeah, they, they really changed the way I heard music. Does Michael Stipe know that? Yeah, I was about to say, have you ever told Michael Stipe that story? Oh, yeah. He knows that story. And I'm really, really, really good friends with Mike Mills. Mike Mills and I hang out a lot. And so, uh, yeah, they know that story. I mean, R.E.M., I tell them all the time. I I thank them for everything I got because they made me want to go do what we did. I hope they gave you like a signed poster at the very least. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Maybe a T-shirt. Yeah, I got a T-shirt. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) If your career was just starting out now, do you think you would have gone straight to country music? Would you have had the Hootie and the Blowfish music phase? I think in today's climate, there's no room for anybody that sounds like Hootie except, except in country music. Hmm. You know, you'd have to change a few things, but like there's no rock and roll is dead. You know, there's, hmm. there's, no, there's no place to play rock and roll. That's, that's on a big stage. There's no, you know, it's, Pop radio is not playing it at all. You don't see these big rock bands, these bands coming from nowhere that are rock bands and making it big anymore because there's no place for them to be heard. As much as we want to think that that music is still, you know, us adults, we're, we're, we're dictating what's on the radio. We're not. It's the kids. And the kids are listening to all that urban stuff and all the, all the pop stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's no rock and roll band that's making them go, okay, I want to hear that again. It would be tough to start if I was starting today. It'd be tough. All right. Well, Hootie and the Blowfish did start, as the story goes. You were singing a Billy Joel song back at University of South Carolina. You were in the bathroom and you were singing a Billy Joel song. And yeah. the guy that you shared the bathroom with, apparently, who would become your guitarist, he was like, oh, my God, you got to sing. Okay. First of all, what was the Billy Joel song? Uh, it was Honesty from uh, oh. from 52nd Street. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, 50 Seconds is my favorite Billy Joel record. That, I love that song so much. And uh, it was funny because I really thought everybody was in class. And we had these big community showers, and I thought everybody was in class. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, like, who's in the dorm at 10 o'clock in the morning? So I was singing to the top of my lungs, and I walk out, and there's somebody standing there. <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. But uh, it ended up being okay. Yeah, for real. So you didn't sign to a label until about, what was it, 1993, right? Yeah. Was it hard to get the industry's attention? Because that was the height of grunge. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we have, I think, 5,000 rejection letters, you know, our, our first types of CDs and stuff. And there wasn't anybody, even when we signed our deal, you know, uh, there's this guy that was working at our label at the time. And the funny thing now is he tells people he signed us, which he didn't sign us. But they, he was a vice president of the label. And when we finished Cracked Review, he went to the president of the label and told him that, Atlantic couldn't put Cracked Review out or they would be the laughing stock of music because it wasn't grunge. No wonder he's rewriting history. Yeah, that's that's still pretty <laughs> funny to me. All right, we, we want to go behind a couple of Hootie's songs. Um, let's talk about Let Her Cry. Could you tell us the story but, but behind that song? I was out one night having a good time with my buddies and uh, I walked into this bar and uh, I heard the song She Talks to Angels by the Black oh, Crows for the, for the first time. Such a good song. And I made the guy there, I played it, I made him play it four or five times. I just thought it was amazing. You have to. I thought it was amazing. And I went to the next bar and I got them to play it again because I was just blown away by this song. And so after hearing it about eight or nine times that night, I went home and I started playing Madden and I put on a Bonnie Raitt record called Home Play because I'm a huge Bonnie Raitt fan. So I, the record finished and I finished playing my game and I decided I was going to write She Talks to Angels for Bonnie Raitt. 
And I wrote Let It Cry. And so one more, we can't let this go without Hold My Hand, right? Yeah. And, but many people don't know that that was actually a protest song. I mean, you you guys also took it on Sesame Street, which I found last night. But um, tell us about Hold My Hand as, as um, in actuality, a protest song. Yeah, I mean, the words, I think people took it as a, a light, fluffy song because of you know the Hold My Hand aspect of it. But that is, that's a song about, you know, trying to change something, trying to change wrongs, trying to, it's, it's our protest song. And no one ever took it that way. And that was cool. And, you know, it did what it did and it was great. But that song is for us is about all the things that are bad in the world and, you know, trying to change it with love. Do you think Hooting the Blowfish in, in retrospect as a band was oftentimes underestimated? Oh, always. Oh, absolutely. It's because we weren't, you know, grunge was so cool and they were, it, it was king and, you know, it was anything that wasn't that or anything that was a little, not as heavy as that just wasn't cool. And so mm. we were always underestimated, but that's okay. We just got to play it. Yeah. Cause at, at some point there were like fuck hoodie bumper stickers. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, but that's a problem you have when you, when things get so big, yeah. when you get something that's selling a million records a week, people have to hate it. Or they're not cool. Were you driving down the road one time and did you ever see a bumper sticker? Absolutely. Oh my God. What did you think? You're driving along and you see a bumper sticker of Fuck Hootie. I laughed my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good sense of humor. Uh, yeah. you, I, was driving, I was driving in my brand new truck with my brand new house and I was playing to 20,000 people that weekend. I didn't care about the fuck you. Yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so in the article in the 1995 issue, this really struck me. Towards the end of the article, we say that the band is tired of questions about your interracial makeup. And the quote that you gave was, we're a kind of demographic of the country, says Rucker, and it works. And for their detractors, <laughs> they don't give a hoot, really, people. If they say, <laughs> so what's so interesting, that was 1995. And you yeah. guys were already like, listen, we've had enough of talking about this and people thinking it's, you know, something to discuss. And look where we are in 2021. Yeah. This is still, still such there. a major topic. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really sad to see how we've taken such a step back, I think, and all that stuff. And, and you know, I, I saw that thing today, today with Alabama, the Alabama legislator guy just gets up and calls somebody a house N-word. How do you do that in the middle of the legislation? It's amazing to me how it is now. It's not even just worse. It's popular. Like people think they're, it's cool now to be a racist. That's just absolutely asinine to me. As a musician in the 90s and then as a musician today, how has your personal experiences, have, have they changed? Have you, I mean, are you still experiencing some of the same crap that you had to put up with in the 90s or has your experience become actually better in the industry? Oh, the industry's gotten better. I mean, you know, when I first came to Nashville, you know, it was a bunch of naysayers, a bunch of, this is never going to work because you're black. You were flat out told, I think, that like they are not going to play your music. I was, no, I wasn't told that they would play my music. They said we play it, but my audience will never accept a black country singer. That's what mm -hmm. I was told. You know, it's so awesome to be a part of opening that door and seeing now all these country labels, not only not throwing out the black singer when they get the CD, but they're actually, everybody's looking to sign guys and girls now. And, and that, I love the fact that I was a part of that. Yeah, you're a huge part of it. Do you think in some ways we just underestimated the, the country audience where we, I guess the money people, were they really being like totally underestimating who the country audience is? Oh, absolutely. The thing that they really, I think, underestimated is most of the people don't care what you look like if you have great music. Hmm. They, they don't care. And the people that care are assholes. You know, they're not going to listen anyways. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, that's what I think they've discovered. When, you know, when my first three records went to number one, people were shocked. They couldn't believe there was a black guy that had three consecutive number ones 25 years after Charlie Pride had, had his last one. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, we've proven that it can happen. So let's keep it happening. And then, you know, along comes, you know, someone like Morgan Wallen. Right? Sure. Sure. And it's just, it, I, and I just, I, you're still shocked. I was shocked anyway. Were you shocked? Yeah. Cause I know Morgan and I like Morgan, you know, but I was shocked. It's one of those things where, you know, that all over the country, there's a lot of people who use that word just flippantly and flippantly. And even if, you know, they say they don't mean it in a derogatory way, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You still just don't use it. You know, you just don't say it. And it, it's shocking how prevalent it is and how, I mean, you know, racism still lives, man. It lives strong in some people. And it's sad because, it, you know, it should be getting better and it's getting worse. Mm. 
when you talk about country music fans and being underestimated on a lighter note, I was just curious who parties harder, whose tailgates better, <laughs> the country music fans or the Hootie fans? Oh, the country music fans go all day. Like the Hootie fans, <laughs> if the shows start at seven, the Hootie fans will show up you know, at five and sit around for a couple of hours. Country music fans are at noon. <laughs> mm, you know, they're yeah. at noon partying for that seven o'clock show. So they go pretty hard. Okay. One more. Uh, what are the fans like slash what is it like backstage? Like I am a huge Guns N' Roses fan. And when I saw that you were on tour with Slash's Snake Pit in 97, I was doing my research. I freaked, but I was like, wait a minute. How did you end up on tour with Slash? I mean. And what was that about? It wasn't just Slash. It was Slash, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, us. We were touring Europe, and uh, this was a great night. We're 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 playing Rock and Ring, and Slash had just finished, and we were going on next. And Slash, we we had trailers that backed up to each other that had these huge windows, so you could look into their trailer, they could look at ours. And so we're sitting in there, and there's probably. I don't know, 13, 14 guys just sitting there with the crew with the crew in the band. We're just sitting in our, in our trailer and we look over at Slash's trailer and it's Slash and 12 girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, As it should be. Yeah. After that night and still to this day when Hootie the Blowfish played, before we go on stage, we drink a shot to Slash. Because that was that was just awesome. Slashing 12 girls. It was awesome. Is it true that he inspired the name of your whiskey of backstage? Yes. That uh, whole thing is inspired backstage whiskey. Yeah. That moment right yep. there. Yeah. So like every time you have a drink, you're like, you know, pour one out for Slash. It was Slash. Exactly. <laughs> he is the legend. I know he is in my mind. That makes me so happy. Thank you for sharing that. He is a legend. Yes. Speaking of other musicians, during the 90s, you were in the same kind of genre, Dave Matthews. You said, I heard you say that you guys played at gigs together. We did. We played a frat party together. We needed to know which frat and where. Don't remember which frat, but it was the University of Virginia, I think. And it was, yeah, wow. it was, it was awesome. Do you guys keep in touch, you and Dave? Uh, you know, we, we, you know, when we see each other, it's, we pick up right where we left off. I love, I love Dave. We got a lot of respect for him and he's a great guy, but you know, I guess all these years we've gone on with our separate lives and everything, but every time we see each other, we just pick up right where we left off. I feel like at Christmas, the least he can do is send you a bottle of his wine and then you can send him a bottle of your whiskey. And then you That's can both be deal. like, exactly. we made it. We made it. Look at us now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I love, I'm looking at our list of questions and I love one of our questions here for you just says, are you still mad at Tom Hanks? <laughs> <laughs> Darius, we just have to ask. I'm like, it was Jason's. Because I watched that 90s thing too. Like, you know, but it's like, okay. Jason just wrote, team Darius, exclamation point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was, it was funny. It was like, I told, like I said, you know, I said that about Tom Hanks. And I was like, cause the, the whole thing said, you know, produced by Gary Getzman and Tom Hanks. I was like, well, you know, if I say fuck Gary Getzman, nobody's going to know. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, you, 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 Darius knows how to work the media. He knows what he's doing. You went big Darius. And I respect that. But I'll tell you, I think for a producer to put together a show like that in the nineties and not mention Houdini the Blowfish once is a fucking joke. We get the biggest selling record of the decade by far. It's not even close anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're going to do a whole show. A whole other show. You're going to do a series on 90s music. And you're not even going to mention. You're going to do this whole thing on grunge. And you're not going to mention the day it changed. You're really mm -hmm. not going to mention that. Right. That's unbelievable to me. But it's also another one of those things that we were talking about earlier. The lack of respect that who you know both your skins. I mean, have you, have you talked to Tom Hanks? No. Tom, Tom Hanks <laughs> doesn't care about me. Are you crazy? <laughs> I heard that Gary Gessman's a little upset that he didn't put us in the show, though. So I don't know what that means. Well, big oh. mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so your music did appear in a lot of 90s TV shows. When do you remember hearing Hootie on certain TV shows or movies? Do you remember those what those moments were like? I mean, there's an entire Friends episode about you guys, right? Well, the, Friends episode, the Friends episode, we were in the studio making our second record, and we are in LA, uh, San Francisco making our second record. And around 5.30, we start getting phone calls from all of our friends back east. You got to watch Friends for that. You got to watch Friends for that. And we've watched it and we were shocked. And then our manager, who still to this day, I can't, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting angry when I say this. Our manager says to us, oh yeah, they asked us to be on the show and I turned it down. What? You yeah. fired that manager, right? Yeah, he's been fired. <laughs> seriously, no, seriously, fired? Yeah, he's been fired. But because, to be clear, because No, it wasn't of that, because of that. No, it wasn't, okay. wasn't because of that. But This was a, a series of issues. Yes, that was <laughs> shocking to me. 
that that he didn't even bring it to us. He just said no. He's like, you know, I just didn't think the show was big enough. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Wow. That's wild. I mean, it's because it's, it's a pretty amazing episode. And, and, and you, are, you, you are cemented into pop culture history there, regardless of what Tom Hanks thinks. There's a lot of places all over the world that only reason people know who we are is because of that show. That is so funny and tragic at the same time. Yes. Wow. Can you fill in the blank for us here? When I think of the 90s, I think of. Oh, when I think of the 90s, I think of I grunge. I do. I think of Stone Temple Pilots. So you were a fan of that music? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. And not just a fan. You know, we felt like wimps, you know? Uh, yes. Did you, did you really? You felt like wimps because of like the power and the relevance of grunge? Yes. It was so dark and the guitars were so crunchy and it, was, it wasn't metal, but it was hard. Yes. And it was, yeah, we felt like wimps. But, you know, we were doing what we were going to do and we weren't going to stop. Did you ever get any unlikely celebrity or musician Hootie and the Blowfish fans like come up to you and just be like, your song has been stuck in my head since 1994. One of the great days of our life ever is we're, we're huge Red Hot Chili Pepper fans and we're playing in LA and we look down in the crowd about the fourth row and Flea and Anthony there. Stop it. Both of them? Both of them were there standing uh-uh. right next to each other and we just freaked out. We freaked out. We couldn't believe That's it. incredible. Yeah, that was awesome. Did you ever get to talk to them? No, nope, they didn't even come backstage after the show. They stayed for the whole show and then left. Like a true fan. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Do you remember being in People Magazine in the 1995 yes. Most Intriguing People issue? What Was your, your family stoked about it? Tell us. I couldn't believe it. You know, because I'm, I'm still just a kid from Charleston, South Carolina, who lived in South Carolina and was playing in this band and got lucky. And now here I am in People Magazine, one of the 25 Most Intriguing. Man, I don't buy a lot of magazines. I bought a lot of that one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, well, we thank you. That's awesome. That's really great. Oh, we have to talk about Hootie Fest. How did this come about? Like, tell us what's on deck. What's what's happening? You know, uh, the tour was so successful in 19. And we had been doing a little thing in Charleston for a while. And, and somebody came to us with this idea that they wanted to do a Hootie concert. You know, because Luke, Luke Bryan does concerts down, does a weekend down there. And so they were talking about seeing if we could do it. And I was like, you know, uh, to be I'll be honest with you guys, you know, Doing anything outside of country music doesn't really excite me. I mean, I still love Hootie and they're my boys, but I'm not really mm. dying to go on another Hootie tour or anything like that. But uh, it was it was such a great idea and really sounded like fun. And then when we started getting the other bands involved, our friends, you know, Better Nazar and Toad and Blues Traveler and uh, you know, all these bands that we played shows with and hung out with all you know all these years, it sounded fun. And I think it's going to be a big part. Of, I think anybody that buys a ticket to that is going to have a great time. Darius, why do you think we still love the 90s so much? I think it's at that point now where it's so long ago that it's nostalgic. Everybody looks back and thinks that times were better or whatever, but you know, it's just everyone else's nostalgia of those music and those movies, you know, those TV shows that, that shaped us in the nineties. And I mean, our tour is a prime example of that to be selling out all those places when we hadn't done anything in 15 years was proof that the nineties, the people are looking for that nostalgia and they love it. Okay. So with our guests, we play a little nineties themed this or that. All you have to do is pick this or that. Okay. So this or that girl group and Vogue or destiny's child. Oh, in Vogue. They're the best. Yeah. They were great. I love destiny's child, but in Vogue was yeah. Nineties, Bob, Bob Ross or Bob Saget. Oh, Bob Saget. You ever seen Bob Saget stand up? He's so dirty. It's awesome. Oh, for sure. I mean, he gets real nasty. He gets nasty. It's awesome. (laughs) Literally, everyone we've asked is like, Bob Saget, he is so dirty. He is. It's awesome. Um, Blockbuster movie, Forrest Gump or Titanic? Oh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. I still love it. If it's on TV right now, I have to watch it. I just think it's great. Great movie, mate. R- regardless of Tom Hanks. Yeah. I love, that's, I love Tom Hanks. I would just, I would just. I would Jason. Stand. Tom Hanks is dead to Jason. Thank you, Jason. Okay. I love Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, toy, Beanie Baby or Furby? Oh, goodness, Furby. Yeah, because Furbies, you know, you would think they were going to turn into monsters. Beanie Babies were just, you know, everybody was collecting them so they could make money on it. Who's, who's, who's buying Beanie Babies today? This is a new addition to the game. Butt song. Baby Got Back or Rump Shaker. <laughs> oh, Baby Got Back. Baby Got Back is, is, is a, a classic. Classic. It's classic. a classic. Yeah. Classic. 
Um, sexiest Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation, Poetic Justice, or That's the Way Love Goes. She gets a trifecta. Ooh. I'm gonna go with Rhythm Nation. That black leather with that. Oh, Janet, Janet. I okay. love me some yeah. Janet. Yeah. Mm. And last one, annoying TV neighbor, Steve Urkel or Kimmy Gibbler. <laughs> oh, Steve Urkel. Because if Urkel was around, I was always feel like I was cool. So Steve Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> That is so cool. That is funny. You are fun. Thank you. Well, we think you're pretty cool. Well, thank yeah. you guys. We, we have to say, Darius, this has been so, so much, fun. much fun. Well, thank you guys for having me. Y'all take care. Okay, Andre, can we just say Darius really delivered? Like, fascinating, fascinating man. Maybe I should be listening to his country music more. That's really what he's made his career out of, even though we like living in the 90s, the rest of the world has moved mm. on with him. So just a thought. The last time I listened to country music, I'll be honest with you, was when, um, what was that movie that Leanne Rimes did, like that song for all the girls? Oh, Coyote Ugly. That that was the last time I listened to country music. Uh, hey, Jason, sorry to say Coyote Ugly was released in the year 2000. <gasps> oh, Andrea. You are out of bounds, Jason, out I, of bounds. I broke, I broke our rule. It's okay. I can redeem you mentioning a Leanne Rhymes song from the wrong decade to let you know that we have a special country star that was huge in the 90s calling into the show right now. Well, who is it? Garth Brooks called us. Close. It's actually Trisha Yearwood. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. So before we hear from Trisha Yearwood, you have to know that it was Trisha Yearwood who replaced Leanne Rhymes on that song, on that movie about Alcatraz starring Nicolas Cage. And they had Leanne Rhymes do the first version of the song and they killed it and re-recorded it with Trisha Yearwood. So what Jason is saying is... All roads lead back to Leanne Rhymes. Exactly. And he did listen to country music in the 90s, Chris. I figured, I figured. Anyway, here's Trisha Yearwood with some of her favorite memories from the 90s. Pretty Woman had just come out and I really wanted the Julia Roberts big hair. <laughs> My first album cover, which has a lot of curls was the last shot of the day because they had done my hair and so tight. It was like, I was a Shirley Temple thing. And it was like, that was the last shot when my hair had actually calmed down some, but it, it was tall. And so I think that's the biggest thing I think about her. It, when I look back and start to see the progression of hair, it's like, there's so many hairstyles for women. That, that's how we can tell when the picture was taken in our, our lives is like what the hair was, what was happening with the hair. You know, I didn't think that I would relate most to Trisha Yearwood of all of the celebrity voices we've heard on this podcast. But I, too, can track the decades based on my hairstyle, the length, the color. So, right. I, I totally hear you and I see you and I agree with you, Trisha. You can't talk about Trisha Yearwood without talking about two very important things. One she has a line of pet goods that benefit rescue animals, which makes her an all-star in my book because anyone who cares about rescue dogs is a star. And two, she's married to Garth Brooks. And Garth Brooks, I mean, hello, Friends in Low Places, one of the biggest songs of the 90s. And Chris, please tell me you're going to play it right now. You know what I'm wondering, Jason? We talked about at the beginning of the show, sort of the things that were inescapable. What are the things from the 90s to you that you never want to escape? Your Mount Rushmore, if you will, your top 25 most, forget intriguing, influential before, because the show is only like a half hour. <laughs> so who would I, you know, carve into a mountain? Yeah. Who, what, where, moment? Okay. First of all, George Michael. Because in the 90s, he gave us supermodels, right, with freedom. It was like, you know, the Plymouth Rock of supermodels in America, for sure, right? This is when they, they totally landed with us with the freedom video. And um, and he really also carved out a template for the male pop star that actually wasn't fair, right? Like, you know, a lot of people still follow that model today, but because of, you know, many things that were beyond his control, like his, his career kind of stalled. I'm obsessed with George Michael to this day. For me, also my Mount Rushmore in the 90s, The Gap. Nice one. If you go back and think about The Gap ads, for instance, remember everybody in khakis, the iconography, the typography, the colors, the pocket tees. Janine Garofalo's character worked at The Gap in Reality Bites. It, it was everywhere. In, and then I worked at The Gap in Park Plaza Mall in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1994, maybe for a couple months. I was a Gap Sense specialist in Progress and Day. Obviously. <laughs> 
So it's a gap scent specialist. So the gap is on my Mount Rushmore. There's a book called The Secret History by Donna Tart that was that came out in the 90s that was just super, super incredible for me. And that makes me sound really nerdy, but it was incredible because Donna Tart and I'm one of my favorite others, Brightness and Ellis, they went to college together. It's a real okay, it's a really weird and dark book, and you should read it. And it's beautiful and weird. And these kids are in a weird New England school and they take Greek and then someone dies, and it's so dark. And anyway. I just found the words to describe it orgias orgiastic. Hedonistic, <laughs> drug-fueled rituals. I'm in. I've never even heard the word orgiastic. orgiastic. What you have to know about the secret history in Donna Tart is that Donna Tart and Brett Easton Ellis went to college together. They went to Bennington. Say no more. Weird college. Anyway, um, so I love the secret history. And then, I don't know. Let's, let's go to you. Let me think about it. So, Andrew, who is on your Mount Rushmore? Because you asked this amazing question, and I feel like you already have an answer. Obviously, I wasn't going to ask such a hard question without having an amazing <laughs> answer for myself. Although yours was so much more thoughtful that it makes my list look as deep as a Frisbee per usual. But whatevs. Like a book? I didn't think of putting a book on there. I could pretend. The Celestine Prophecy, Jason. It really oh, changed. <laughs> who I was and how I saw the world. Um, without the Celestine, I wouldn't be the woman I am today, enlightened, enriched, I inspired. You just pulled out the Celestine <laughs> prophecy. I don't know how fast you were able to Google that, but like it was really good. I read it. I just didn't understand it. Let me guess, you got it for high school graduation, along with a copy of Oh, The Places You'll Go. Yes. And a journal you never use. Yes, a dream journal. Um, okay, so mine, the first thing when I was thinking of this question was... The greatest rock video trilogy of all time. Crying, amazing, and crazy from Aerosmith. I was in middle school. And back then I watched that video. Alicia Silverstone was so cool, so sexy, so like wild that I wanted to be her. And then when I saw Liv Tyler, I was like, you're tall. I'm tall. That's about where the buck stops. <laughs> but they just, it was like great fashion, great music, fun storylines back when videos had like stories to them. Mm. And it was girl power, which was kind of new in the 90s. Okay, so wh what else? I have to put Clueless because even though it's very cliche at this point, almost to the Rachel level of cliche. Mm -hmm. It is. It is one of the best movies to come out of the 90s. The fashion, the endearing storyline. I wish I could put seven on my Mount Rushmore, but that freaked you out. That's just really, you, that's the second time you brought it up. It's really uncomfortable. Um, 902 and 0. <laughs> okay. Best show okay. of the 90s, right. hands mm -hmm. down. And then last, I put Gwen Stefani. Really? But I might knock her off for the Celestine Prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> you would put Gwen Stefani on there? So I was actually more obsessed with her in the 2000s, but because she like really kicked off the career with no doubt in the 90s. Again, girl power, a different form of what's hot and what's cool in terms of being a woman in the 90s. She wasn't the, quote, perfect looking girl. She was quirky. She was Funky. She was like pushing the guys around. She got Gavin Rossdale. And then she only got cooler and cooler. And to me, she is still inspiring in her 50s. So yeah, Gwen. Okay. So just thought of my fourth thing, Andrew. And I think on my Mount Rushmore, it has to be either my best friend's wedding, because it was just like just such an awesome movie. And like, they don't make movies like that anymore. And I just thought it was a like perfect romantic comedy. Or Andrea, I know that you, you only asked me for four. I may have to put bootcut jeans on my Mount Rushmore. Oh, interesting. You know, like remember, like that was just really, I remember the first time I bought jeans that cost more than $200. Whoa. And suddenly that was like a game changer, right? How much gap money were you making? <laughs> I was selling Adderall in college, but that's a, that's another story. But I um, made enough money to go to the diesel store when it opened on Union Square West in New York. I remember. remember uh-huh. It was a paradigm shift of like, suddenly jeans just cost $200, yep. right? Yep. And I remember buying bootcut diesel jeans. And I really felt like I literally lived in New York and I wore those and tried to get into Spy Bar and settled for Splash. And that was 
1996. It's going to kill you to know that I went to Spy Bar when I was still in high school. Okay, so moving on. I... Oh my God. That is actually the meanest thing you've ever said to me. I know. Sorry. And you got in. I did. <laughs> I swear to this day that my arm brushed Leo's arm. Anyway. That's Spy Bar. Previously on Chasing Fabio. Like we booked him... It's like done. I just have to say, I really didn't think you would succeed. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. We're getting Fabio, it's <laughs> on. So I need for you to get a plane ticket. I think I need for you to get out here. It's on. Where? So Andrea, the next time our audience hears from us, not only will you and I be together because we never met, we're going to be in the studio with Fabio. And I kind of want to like let that wash over you. I don't know why, but I just want to know what he smells like. Do you think it's good? I don't know. Like fragrance wise, is it like Abercrombie and Fitch cheap, but masculine? No, it's a masculine musk that's natural. It just is the scent of Fabio. I like an expensive smelling fragrance. Does that surprise you? You want your Fabio to smell expensive. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you. Andrew, you're looking at me like George Clooney looked at that wave in a perfect storm. Like you don't know what's coming and you don't know if you're going to be able to survive it. I don't know how to tell you this, Jason. It might not surprise you. I am not a trooper. Like (laughs) if it's the end of the world, the apocalypse, I want to go down quick and early. Are you saying we're not going to be like... Clooney and Mark Wahlberg? I just, if it's, if it goes down in flames, I just want to make sure it's, it's on me. It's just <laughs> your name associated in the emails, but I'm, I'm there. We, I'm there in the after background. After we have like numerous assets and verticals of the Meredith Corporation People Magazine devoted to Fabio, it's now all on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just like, all I want you to do, Andrea, before mm-hmm. we do this, I want you to listen to Fabio After Dark. You know, which was not the best-selling album of 1995. But I think that will really, like, you know, get you in the mood. A long, slow dance. I need for you to prepare for this as if you're interviewing, I don't know, Cher Horowitz, and y'all are going to talk about your gay boyfriends. You're acting as if I did not get the invitation to our joint Pinterest board titled (laughs) All Things Fabio. I got it, Jason. And I didn't accept it for a reason. No, I'm in. I'll do my research. I'll do my homework. I'm still waiting for you to accept my friendship on MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear her say, yes. I want to kiss her for a very, very long time. So one last thing, Jason. Usually you're the one telling me to turn to some page in my hymnal. Sorry, I'm Jewish. That's a tough one for me. But I'm going to urge you to please flip to page 120. Okay. Okay. I'm there. I'm getting there. Okay. Here we go. Special section following the 25 most intriguing people for the fresh faces of 95. In a year of startling breakthroughs, there was room for a garage band, an Eskimo, an electronic fantasy, a bald-headed stranger, and even a nun. I'm going to give you... One guess which one of those things is my that's so 90s. Um, I'm going to have to go with a nun for a thousand. No. By the way, you'll love who the Eskimo is, who we're also not talking about. Irina, the model. <gasps> oh, we did love her. Yeah. And I'm sorry, yeah. because we're going to talk about something I don't think you loved. And that's the band Live. Who? Hey, I thought this was like Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. Live. There's a band from the 90s and their name was Live. Yeah, don't you know the song Lightning Crashes where the placenta falls to the floor? That was the actual lyric. First of all, just syntax wise, that is such a word salad. Mm. But we're just going to ignore that and move on. I can't believe you don't know Lightning Crashes. I, I really have no idea who these people are. So... Live had this like lightning in a bottle moment. This is a full band that at the time when we put them in the issue sold 5 million copies of their second album, which was Throwing Copper. And everyone listened to their song. So there was I Alone. There was the aforementioned lightning crashes. So the reason I chose this band was because we, while acknowledging 
that they were one to watch, we also kind of shaded the hell out of them in our write-up. We said, by ignoring the critics, of course, and then we quote a critic saying, what some see as blandness, (laughs) their fans see as quiet intensity. So they kind of then, for most people, disappeared into the ether of 90s bands that just like came out of nowhere. Like wherever Gwen Stefani's ex-husband went. Oh, burn. Okay. (laughs) But they didn't. Okay. Because this is 2021 and we are obsessed with the 90s, not just me and you, but Mm -hmm. like everyone. I don't know if you watched the recent Woodstock 99 documentary, but they had played at Woodstock 99 and were featured. Is this the one your ex-boyfriend was featured in? Nice. Drop it like it's hot there. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just, just saying. He okay. was. I enter his ex-boyfriend. He's really cute, guys. Super cute. Uh, super not into girls. Uh, he wouldn't mind me saying that. But I did a little research. And just like a lot of our other favorite musicians of the 90s, they are reuniting. I mean. They are planning a new album that came out of quarantine. So it's not just the cast of Friends. No. This like all goes back to like, there's the I Love the 90s tour. Right, which mm-hmm. has all for one, vanilla ice, color would be bad, coolio. I love the nineties. We have Hootie Fest. Hootie of Fest. Course. And keep your eyes and ears open for a live, not live as in in real life, live as in <laughs> so the band confusing. reunion. I, I mean who did like let's just say like, you know, getting the obscure band back together, like that's so nineties. Yeah, still finding an audience after all these years. That's so nineties. Why did they name their band live? It's so confusing. By the way, do you know it's live or live? Do you actually know that the band is called live? It's not pronounced live? Everyone knows it's live. Okay, I'm just saying. Thanks again to Darius Rucker. What a nice guy. And that voice, even like... The best laugh in the business. And I don't know why I said the business, because like, what the hell do I know? But like, literally the best laugh in the business. It's like a delightfully deep chuckle. I could listen to it oh, all no, day. Oh, no, no. It's like, it's, it's, it's so authentic. <laughs> People in the 90s is hosted by me, Jason Sheeler, and Andrea Laventhal. It's produced by Jason Sheeler and Chris Jacobs. Executive produced by Kim Ritberg and David Flumenbaum. Edited by Chris Jacobs. Mastered by Erica Wong. And with production support by Elisa Sessler at People. Priscilla Verlin, Matt Sav, and Rachel King at Pod People. I'm Andrea Laventhal. Thank you for listening. And I'm Jason Cheeler. <laughs> <laughs>